Hi everyone, this is my podcast called E-Conversations and today we welcome Professor Champaka who is an urban planning and governance specialist to the podcast. She has a background in architecture and an eye for the social sciences. She gracefully navigates the complexities of urban planning. So how are you doing today and welcome to my podcast. Hi Raya, it's uh, really wonderful to be on your podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Okay, great. So the first question I had to ask was, how do you feel you have used parts of your architectural education and spatial skills to complement your current work that you do in policy? That's uh, such an important question um, because, you know, my fun- fundamental education or foundational education is in architecture, the built environment. Um, and, and you know about this because we've known each other for, for several years now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are a, a, quite a few um, learnings from my architectural education, which very, um, you know, sometimes implicitly, sometimes also very consciously inform my work in policy practice and research. Uh, there are a few that I can immediately think about. One is uh, conceptual thinking, you know, designing, uh, building, designing urban places, for instance, requires uh, hmm. us to think conceptually. So conceptual thinking is quite central to uh, policy work as well. So for example, if you're thinking about different kinds of, um, you know, um, the, the, the idea of the right to the city, for instance, is, is conceptual, but it's also very pragmatic. And architecture, also, we need to translate conceptual thinking into um, actual brick and mortar, literally, hmm. you know, and nuts and bolts. So that whole relationship between concept and implementation, actual, actual implementation on the ground is something that's fundamental to architectural thinking. It cuts across policy as well. Then you have, uh, I'd say, you know, understanding context mm. is very important to architecture because our buildings, when we design buildings, very important. The way we've been trained uh, as a school of architecture at Ambivar, yeah. um, we know that um, our buildings must respond to local climate, local culture, people's um, uh, daily practices, mm. uh, various kinds of, um, you know, um, social uh, relationships that exist on the ground, we, we typically take uh, full cognizance of all of these practices mm. and find ways to reflect those in our uh, architectural uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, design, you know. Mm. And that's very uh, critical to policy work as well. In urban policy, for instance, um, we uh, take uh, cognizance of geography. When I say geography, it means cultural geography of the places. It could mean economic geographies in, in terms of how... The kind of people uh, who are there. Yes, please. Like, basically, the kind of people who you're planning for and you're working yeah, for. Yeah, like, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and also, what are the uh, relationships between, say, businesses... Um, governments. Yeah. Governments, municipal governments have their own ways in which they... Like, corporators, for instance, or um, even... Um, um, administrators, municipal officers, etc. There are, there's a, there are particular kinds of relationships that exist uh, between people if it's a wealthy environment or a urban poor, uh, slum settlement. There are many, many different kinds of relationships that exist here, formal and formal. Hmm. So it's very critical for us to understand those and that's something we are trained in architecture. Hmm. And so understanding site is very, very critical to both spheres of um, learning as well as practice. 
the third thing is regulations you know and as architects we we are trained to read regulations to develop and control regulations for instance how many how many floors you can build on a building hmm. or you know an architect in a large educational campus or it campus so whatever we are designing we are trained to read regulations and uh, central to policy is also law understanding laws understanding government schemes regulations of various types rules of protocols all of that is also based in both spheres you know i think these are some very crucial mm. uh, aspects that are common to both architectural learning and practice as well as policy practice No, that sounds great. I think someone else I had talked to, who was also an architect turned something else in development, also talked about how architecture was really important to her because it teaches you how to think rather than you know like it's not just architecture. It teaches you how to think. It teaches you how to be like analytical when you're doing some other work. So I think that's super important. Okay, so the second yeah, question. That's a great point. Yeah, yeah. So the second question I had. was that when is there a specific example where your insights have influenced urban planning or any government practices and what uh, and and what is the specificity of it like can you give us an example of any of the work you've done yes absolutely that's another great question because i think it's uh, it's important to reflect on the geography um, you know geography of places for instance as being hmm. fundamental to policy as well as design thinking and how uh, i have uh, actively um, along with my colleagues uh, urban policy and planning work is uh, you never do it alone you always do it in large teams hmm. and some my colleagues and i have uh, very strongly been uh, been advocating the idea of recognizing geography of places uh, to to inform development control regulations which are which are adopted as part of master plans for instance so a concrete example to respond to your question is uh, the revised master plan for bangalore which we hmm. uh, worked on in 2003 in fact it was really early hmm. uh, as i would say as as a visionary sort of an exercise uh, for cities in india hmm. if you're looking at uh, planning laws in india um, these are all uh, uh, pertinent and relevant at the state government level hmm. so planning laws don't really require that They don't require at all whatsoever that we recognize geography of places. So when I look at geography, like you said earlier, also you know understanding places. Hmm. Um, our laws don't really specifically require us to understand places and how places work, how people are actually inhabiting these places. Um, hmm. But there's nothing in the law that prevents us from recognizing these details. The law is quite flexible and open-ended. So what we did was to uh, make a, a big shift. in the way plans were prepared in the past hmm. in the past plans were prepared just more as land use so the um, planners would uh prepare big existing land use maps for instance which had areas that were residential colored in a particular color and commercial hmm. yeah. and industrial etc these were land use based and there was no real thinking about how people inhabited these places how they used these places how our histories of uh, uh, places and you know um Uh, political histories, for instance, or the uh, social history of places. How are these informing uh, development control regulations? These were not really part of earlier planning paradigms. What we did was to bring geography as being central to our thinking about development control regulations. So we mapped the entire city through a geography lens by saying these are some uh, localities which have 
predominantly, uh, you know, informal uh, sector activities. It could be uh, small clusters where <clears throat> which are largely occupied by particular kinds of ethnic uh, groups um, practicing, say, for example, construction industry oriented uh, trade and uh, commerce, small trade and commerce. Mm. Um, there could be other clusters where there were potters, and these were also historically rooted communities that occupied some spaces. And it's important to recognize these um, clusters. There were others in there's an old city area in Bangalore, of course. Mm. Uh, it's called the Pete, which means the city. Mm. And within Pete, we have many small clusters of uh, traditional activities and people who are involved in uh, traditional occupation that continue to live there it's, it's since the, uh, you know, for, well, for, say, the 16th century or so. And uh, uh, rather than just paint these places as yellow, blue, or a purple color, they felt it's important to recognize the nature of activities that are practiced here still. Mm. And how do we anticipate the transformation of these activities uh, over the next 10 years? Um, what kinds of um, transitions these activities may see given technology change, for instance? Mm. So all of these aspects become inherent to understanding geography and transforming geographies of places. Um, so that's what we did. We, just to give you a concrete example, in Bangalore, all our zones, land use zones, now are reflective of these uh, traditional geographies or even modern mm. geographies of um, places in the city. Actually, you, actually, that sounds really interesting. Actually, it's one of the most interesting things I've heard today because just doing this is sounding like a really big task for like a few people to do because this is not an easy task for doing it for a full city trying to understand the people who are in different spaces how that might transform what they do on a daily basis I think even mapping that out must have taken quite a while so I think that's an enormous thing you've done and I think that's commendable actually Okay, so then... I must uh, clarify, Raya, we were about 75 people on this team. I think still uh, it's a great feat. Yeah. I think still. 20 people went out onto the field. There was a a team leader who was um, from uh, France. In fact, there was an enormous team that was uh, French, uh, uh, from the French firm that I was working with Mm. in the past, the firm called Group SCE. Mm. And we were consultants to the Bangalore Development Authority. So much of this uh, was also initiated both by the French firm as well as the Bangalore Development Authority. Both organizations were very forward in their thinking about uh, bringing in paradigmatic shifts to urban planning, uh, thinking about urban planning and urban places. I think, but still, it's a great achievement. And even if 75 people are working on it, for mapping it out for a large city is quite a tough job. So I think that's mm-hmm. great. So the next question I had was, how do you, what do you feel are the key challenges that municipal corporations face today? And how can they overcome these challenges? That's a tough question. Um, mm. Because municipal corporations uh, have ever so many constraints. They face in India, uh, for for instance, mm. uh, municipal corporations are very weak. There's this um, colleague of mine, uh, Matthew Ritula, for instance, who I very actively uh, work with. I co-teacher a course with him at the Irvington University. Mm. Where um, uh, you know he he uh, explains why municipal governments in, in India are weak. Mm. Now, essentially, after independence, mm. uh, this, in our uh, constitution and the constitution of India. Um, 
the governance of cities was uh, uh, entrusted with uh, entrusted as responsibility to the state government. Hmm. We, we we don't we didn't have uh, politically empowered uh, local governments like municipal corporations, for instance, at the local level. Hmm. We didn't have. Uh, there's never been uh, this. In, well, I should I should be careful about how I word this. Um, no, no, no. After independence, yeah. um, when the constitution was drafted, yeah, the um, constitution vested uh, the responsibility of governance of cities with state governments, not with local governments. So, municipal corporations existed in India much before uh, independence. Independence, of course. Uh, Madras, for instance, is one of the oldest hmm. corporations uh, in India. Uh, goes way back to the 17th century. Um, yeah. But at the same time, the um, uh, you know politically, like in terms of uh, having a legislature hmm. to where there are particular ministers assigned for different uh, aspects of development in a state, um, we have. Ministers responsible for urban development at the state government level. Hmm. We don't have uh, local. We didn't have local legislatures at the municipal government level. Hmm. With ministers at municipal government level who are in charge of different kinds of sectors, whether it's water or it's um, you know data or it's um, yeah. sanitation etc. So politically, local government, municipal governments have been weak in the Indian context. Yeah. Now, um, uh, compounding this problem is uh, is the is the problem of financial uh, and fiscal capacities of municipal government also. Yeah. Municipal governments are fiscally very weak. They don't have the financial capacity also to plan for their own uh, people uh, too much. Yeah, they can't. For service yeah. delivery, you know, for for their municipal government's obligatory function is to make sure that. There's adequate water supply for, for people in, the, in their jurisdictions. There's yeah. enough uh, uh, there's solid waste management, garbage is here on a daily basis. Or, yeah. uh, for example, they could also, there are serious issues concerning sanitation, for instance, mm. uh, sewerage, drainage, uh, green cover, yeah. these parks, access to parks and gardens, meadows, um, burial grounds. A whole range of uh, public amenities, which are uh, and transport, mobility, roads. Mm. These are all basic services which municipal governments are required to provide for uh, inhabitants of their cities. But um, given that politically as well as financially, municipal corporations have remained weak, mm. um, they've not been able to plan adequately for a long. You know, in the long term, hmm. they, they, most municipal corporations in India have annual budgets, for instance, and they're not able to uh, foresee what kinds of investments they can channel into service delivery over a five-year period, for example. Okay. That our, our government at the state government level have a five-year tenure. Hmm. Now, reflecting that five-year tenure, it, it would be ideal if municipal corporations are also able to draft their Plans. Yeah. Plans. Yeah. Planning five years. But because because municipal corporations are weak, they're not capacitated enough to prepare a plan that spans mm. five years. So yeah. what happens is they end up having this annual budget. And these annual budgets also are not um, very specific in terms of exactly which projects they are going to uh, uh, channel their investments into 
objective broadly defined um they're not spatially uh, mapped out either hmm. there's no public process for instance through which municipal governments reach out to the public to say these hmm. are a whole range of uh, projects and programs that we've defined for the for the entire year and we'd like you to provide input to us on this whether our imagination of your needs are aligned with your own needs you know hmm. people may say we want open spaces more open spaces but the government demand uh, assessment of people's needs may actually um uh, uh may vary from hmm. what what people actually need the government may think that people require more hospitals and people might say we don't need more hospitals we need more green cover and we need more parks and playgrounds so yeah. we provide us more parks and playgrounds our respiratory health will improve and then we don't need as many hospitals correct yeah. you know i'm, I'm giving a hypothetical example yeah right? Hmm. so um the there the needs the demand uh from from the people may vary from the supply that the government is providing that the municipal government is providing so to bridge the gap i believe the municipal corporation must engage with people through public participatory processes hmm. across the year to make sure that places where the municipal government is channeling their investments are aligned with uh, actual demands of hmm. people Definitely. That process also doesn't exist in our context because municipal governments are weak, weak, yeah, uh, fiscally as well as politically. Yeah. Okay. So the one of the few last couple of questions I had was so you had meant so when we were talking before you had mentioned that there are several countries like South Africa that have adopted more long term financial planning. What are the advantages to this, and can you explain the kind of long term financial planning maybe? Yes, absolutely. um so you know um in uh, south africa hmm. they uh, have adopted a system called the capital investment planning system now yeah. before i get into the capital investment planning mechanism uh to before i get to explaining details about the capital investment planning mechanism i must also uh, share that um in the south african context hmm. uh municipal governments are politically um there there is a political representation as to municipal government in terms of having a mayor who is directly elected by the people hmm. in in indian cities they don't elect they don't cast their vote to uh, elect a mayor directly right and the mayor mayors in indian cities have a uh, tenure that ranges between 1 to 2 uh, years in most cases barring some exceptions where some state governments like western bengal for instance have devolved power to from the state government to the hmm. to the local government but most other states and cities have uh, continued states have not devolved power to local governments and cities have continued to remain politically weak so we don't cast our vote directly to elect our mayor in contrast in the south african context hmm. um they cast their vote and elect their mayor directly yeah. just like in london for instance Uh, or New York, hmm. um, and the mayor then is custodian of the city. The mayor is custodian of the plan that is prepared for um, hmm. uh, for the city's future development. Yeah. So what they do is they have something called the capital investment planning framework, which hmm. goes hand in hand with their strategic uh, plans for the city, which are prepared at the macro level. So for Johannesburg, for instance, they have a strategic development framework and a strategic um area framework so strategic development framework is something that is a plan that uh, is prepared for the entire city 
and strategic area framework uh, is uh, a framework which helps the city government implement these plans at the level of the ward, at the mm. level of the it's, it's a ward. A ward is a yeah, like a part of a jurisdiction, like a part of the part of the municipal corporation yeah. uh, jurisdiction, right? Yeah. So they have this macro, micro, um, yeah, um, strategic plan and uh, more operational plan sort of a framework that is already uh, uh, quite uh, well established in their planning legislation. Hmm. And going uh, alongside this strategic development framework and the strategic action framework is the capital investment planning mechanism hmm. which allows them to plan allows these municipal corporations to plan where they want to channel their investment for a five-year period yeah and there's a full process of uh, you know the politically it's, it's a politically driven plan where the mayor initiates a process of um, public engagement where um <clears throat> People provide their inputs on where they would like uh, particular kinds of uh, amenities, infrastructure, uh, you know, they express their needs. And the strategic development framework incorporates, interprets these needs and, and incorporates them as uh, programs and plans and projects. And these are implemented at mm-hmm. the local level um, and channeled through the CIP framework where, um, you know, um, Say we have 40 projects, for instance, I'm just hypothetically stating this again. Yeah. Suppose in the strategic development framework, there are 40 projects that are listed out. Then those 40 projects are um, planned for implementation over a five-year period. Hmm. And the prioritization of which projects need to be taken up in the first year, which ones need to go in the second year, third year, fourth year, fifth year, that decision on prioritization of uh, investment is uh, made through a uh, uh, public process and through a consultative process where the where political leaders engage with administrators, businesses, local communities, and you know reconcile many competing needs that come across that that are expressed by all of these different groups on the ground. So that that's what I meant by you know a, a much long much longer long term plan, yeah. which cities um, uh, in South Africa adopt uh, but I must say that um, none of this is uh, you know uh, one cannot take it for granted that all of, of that even that just because the framework exists um, it cannot uh, work everywhere else implemented on the ground. yeah it might not it, be it also depends on political leadership right yeah 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 I was like just because it exists in one place doesn't mean it might work well in another place so so if it works, and also, yeah. For the same place, for the same city, um, it depends on political capacity and political strategy, political incentives which are there, uh, yeah. which enable um, uh, mayors of cities, for instance, to be able to implement these uh, frameworks effectively on the ground. Um, if political leaders are not capacitated themselves, then they're not going to be able to leverage these uh, frameworks to effectively support their city leader. Yeah, definitely. Now, I have like just a few small questions. So, the first one is, if you had to recommend one book that has had a profound impact on you, what would that book be? Um, there are many books, of course, which have had a profound impact on yeah, my thinking. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, there's uh, one book which I'm 
which I've been reading for 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 a while now, many years now. Oh, I'm trying I'm trying to understand uh, uh, capitalism. Oh, um, the, and there's there's um, Joseph Schumpeter's Business Cycle, uh, which is uh, which has it's in two very large volumes. Very difficult to understand because I'm not a trained I'm not trained as an economist. So I'm very slow in uh, in understanding the many concepts which are you know which he explains. Um, but it's it's fantastic because it helps me understand how um, businesses work and what what are the various um, you know factors that in, um, impact uh, their profit and loss cycles. And mm. how my my question of course is about how we as planners. Uh, urban planners and infrastructure development uh, experts, how we must pay attention to business cycles uh, and incorporate them as part of our uh, planning framework. Quite often in in our uh, in the Indian context, we don't uh, pay attention enough to business cycles, you know, and our plans end up failing because um, when in the in during plan implementation, uh, markets behave in very different ways. From what the plan anticipates, our plans end up being very rigid, and markets and businesses behave in many different ways. Hmm. And so, it's really important for urban planners and infrastructure development professionals to actually understand how markets work, and how businesses work, and how businesses relate to one another, how businesses actually relate to the government, and therefore, what kinds of policies we should be crafting in order to make sure that governments respond to business needs as well. Hmm. You know, That's so business cycles. Is this book that I would recommend uh, for you to read, but in the long term, I suppose because uh, it's a matter. I, mean, I think definitely read it and maybe at least read what it's about <laughs> for sure. Sure, sure. And then the last question I had was: if you could collaborate with any global leader or personality or like an organization on a project, who would it be, and what kind of a project would you want to do? I. I think what is important. So, in terms of global organizations, um, I work with multinational companies, for instance, which have um, good uh, levels of vision for, and and we also have um, in the firms that I've worked with in the past. Yeah, have had a good uh, uh, set of intentions through which they want to prepare plans, for instance, for cities or or, or regions. Yeah. Um. So. No, so I'm already working with the World Bank for an hour. I'm not sure I want to say much about uh, my work with the World Bank on this podcast. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you very much, uh, Naya, for inviting me to this podcast. It was really uh, enjoyable.